0: I'd like to start off with a little story. We like stories, don't we? I joined the Catholic Medical Association a number of years ago and have been going to the meetings every year and they're very, very good and it's even better when you mix the faith in with medicine. For instance, last meeting they had a wonderful talk on is there really any medical uses for marijuana? And you know what? It really isn't. Not really. And what marijuana does, the substances of marijuana, it, it affects thinking, cognition, memory. Uh, it's just an awful thing, and it's sweeping the country and even recreational use, which there's really not any medical usages. And, and then states are going to get used to the tax revenue and try to take that away, it's a big mess. When I went to Denver for the last meeting, I never saw so many homeless people in my life. And why were they homeless? In California where they legalized marijuana, forty dollars for a joint, it's it's really incredible. That's gonna increase the homelessness. And and anyway, so there's some great, great talks. But two years ago there was a lung doctor a, a pulmonologist that gave a talk about one of his patients, and his his whole talk was about how to incorporate the faith into medicine, and that may seem a little difficult, but <clears throat> it's really not as he explained so when a patient would come in <clears throat> say with cancer or with some intractable disease or anything, he would say ask them if they would like you to pray with them. Tell them I'm praying for you. And a lot of times that opens the door. And if the patient doesn't want to go there, then you have your answer. But he said, most people want to pray. And so, but he gave this story that he had this man, this older man, was in the ICU on the ventilator. Uh, No, he wasn't on a ventilator. But he was on the intensive care, which means he was on EKG. He had the little boy in the old days. You'd have to put the suction cups on, and then that would fall off. And now you just peel off the adhesive, and it just sticks. So he's on the EKG machine, and the guy dies. Heart stops. Flatline. And the alarms go off. And so since he was in the ICU, the code team were in there Immediately started doing chest compressions and putting epinephrine and various drugs in the in his IV <clears throat> and there's the particular judgment and then there's the general final judgment and the final judgment we've heard so many times at mass it's in Matthew chapter 25 verse 31 to 47 is that at the end of time Jesus will send his angels and he'll separate us like the A shepherd separates sheep and goats. Poor goats. That poor little fig tree that he cursed. Why did he do that? That's another story. But anyway, we're going to be on the right side, right? We're going to be the sheep. We're not going to be on the left side. And... um, But then everyone's individual judgment becomes public. But in Hebrews... Chapter 9, verse 27, it says, Immediately after death, we're judged individually, personally. And the final judgment is just everyone's individual judgments are made public. So souls from heaven, purgatory, and hell will come back to earth to get their bodies. And then there's the resurrection of the dead. But when we die, we immediately meet Jesus in judgment. That's in Hebrews 9, 27. So this guy's heart stops. And they're starting to do the CPR. And he meets Jesus Christ in judgment. Who said, In your life, I gave you so many gifts. And you just used them for yourself. You're damned. And this guy guy thought, I blew it. I'm going to go to hell for all eternity. Did you get that news uh, clip where the Pope reportedly said there's no hell? And he, there's no hell. Why? What were we saved from? Why do we need a savior? A great cure for that is witnessing an exorcism. But um, Jesus talks about hell. He says the gate to and the road to heaven is wide and is narrow and difficult and few enter. This is so disturbing to me. And the road to hell is wide and easy and many enter. And um, this was an atheist journalist and who's misquoted the Pope before, but we know hell exists, so this guy, there he is, thinking, well, I blew it, I'm going to hell forever. Now let me ask you a question. Do you all say your rosary every day? The Hail Mary. It's from Luke's Gospel. And the second part I love so much. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners now. Boy, that was wimpy, sissy, ninny. Pray for our sinners. Now at the hour of our death, amen. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners now. the hour of our death, amen. I'll give you a B-. minus. Not that this is a Baptist revival. You ever go to... Mass, you know, somebody thinks, you know, I'm, I, I'm interested in being a Catholic. So he goes to a small rural parish, and, and there are the people in the pews. And then it's time to sing. And there's Charlie. I hope there's no Charlie here. Zeke, Clem, whatever. He's never sang anything in his whole life, and they come in, and, gee, this is really downer here. Now and at the hour of our death, amen. So there's out of nowhere is the Virgin Mary. And she looks at Jesus and she says, son, son, would you give him another chance? He'll do better this time. I just bet you this guy said the rosary. I don't know about every day, but I bet he said the rosary. And this guy's thinking to himself, please, please. And then, and over here, he could, he could just see, you know, they're doing CPR. I mean, yeah, I think this isn't going to work. We better stop here. Uh, you know, because there comes a point, you know, after you do CPR and you've been in there 32 hours, you know, I, I think it's time to quit. And most, uh, codes aren't successful. I can tell you that. So this guy's saying, please. And he said, Jesus slowly looked over at his mother and says, Mother, for you, I'll give him another chance. We have a heartbeat. We have a heartbeat. And the doctors are doing this. Like what we did. So are the nurses. Yeah, right. Now all this guy does is goes around, talks about divine mercy. But before somebody can receive mercy, what do they have to first do? Boy, this is dead crowd. I'm going to tell Father Coulter. Yes, we have to. And what's another word for it? It starts with an R. We have to repent. And that's the message of St. John the Baptist and Jesus. Repent and believe in the gospel. Because there are people that have sins on their soul. And the Lord desperately wants to forgive our sins, but people aren't. Repentive. They're not. The, the sense of sin in our world has really been lost. But one of the main themes of the message of St. Faustina, of Jesus to St. Faustina, is the, is the message of trust. To trust in the love and mercy of God. And it says right under there, the words of Jesus Jesus, I trust in you. Now, there are two problems with getting in the way of receiving mercy, and that's presumption. In despair. Presumption is, yeah, well, you know, there's, God doesn't really send people to hell. And that's been one of the main uh, questions that's been debated for many, many years. Are most people saved or damned? And it's interesting that, uh, has anyone ever read First Things? Not all cardinals are bishops. You don't have to be a bishop to be a cardinal. And so there was a cardinal who was a priest Avery Avery Dulles and very smart man and he God rest his soul, but um, the editor of first things uh, before he died, and he started it was john newhouse and he He was a Lutheran pastor and he became a Catholic priest and he started first things, and he wrote this book, Death on a Friday afternoon, and maybe I don't know, seven, eight years ago, maybe ten years ago, I thought, I'm going to read it over Lent, and I did. And so, in the pages of First Things, this old crotchety priest wrote in complaining. Uh, you just said in your book that that everyone's saved. Of course, Father Newhouse didn't really say that, but I understood why this old crotchety priest said that, because is a very he wrote it very, very positive. And so they got in this real gentlemanly tit for tat argument into the where you write into the editor. And uh and, and, often, and a lot of times in other there are other publications where it's the back and forth is not charitable, but it was very, very charitable. So in response to this, is everyone saved? Is most people damned? Most people saved. Cardinal Dulles wrote this great essay. I wish I would have kept it, but it was published in First Things on this question. Are most people saved? or most people damned? And you probably want to know what his thoughts were. And he points out that there are very positive uh, Scripture passages where it's not the will of the Heavenly Father that anyone should, should perish. And then those other passages where Jesus himself said... The road to heaven is narrow and difficult and few enter, and the road to hell is wide and easy and many enter. So he talks about all of that. Then he talks about the fathers of the church next. And did you know, of course they lived many years ago without antibiotics and surgery and uh, barbarians and all that, but most of the fathers of the church, it's their impression, it's their, their thoughts And none of this is infallible. It's just their thoughts, is that most people are damned. Now, (laughs) aren't you glad to hear that? Uh, But there are some fathers that think opposite, that most people are saved. So, in the end, he says that we don't know. We don't know. Uh, You want to know what my opinion is? I think many people are saved and many people aren't. And there's that passage in Revelation where John sees this multitude in heaven of the people that saved their soul. This is after the discussion of the symbolic no, number of 144,000 of the 12 tribes of Israel. But then John says he sees this vision in heaven of the multitude of people that have been saved that the number is so huge that it can't be counted so my opinion is there are many people that are saved and, unfortunately, many that aren't. But God wants everyone to come to him. And he wants us to come to him. But presumption is, well, God doesn't send anyone to hell and you have to be an axe murderer or you have to change massacre guy or woman. And then Despair. God won't forgive my sins. Despair is a horrible problem. We could compare and contrast Peter's denial of Jesus and Judas's betrayal. <clears throat> Remember Peter denied Jesus 3 times and in Luke's gospel when he denied Jesus that third time their eyes met. They were close enough where they could see each other. When I was in Israel, the Holy Land, and if you, get, if you get a chance to go to the Holy Land someday, do it. And people are so afraid to go there, but there's no one that does security like the Israelis. They profile. And, but reading the Scriptures is so different after going to the Holy Land because you see these places. So <clears throat> I see the place where Peter denied Jesus. The place where Jesus was judged by the high priests and the Pharisees in the high priest's home, that entranceway where Peter was, and the pit that they put Jesus in overnight before they delivered him to Pilate. But when Jesus when Peter denied Jesus the third time it said he cursed, and their eyes met, and he wept bitterly, so he repented. Judas, he repented. He threw the 30 pieces of silver back into the temple. But after they realized that they sinned, there's nothing at all similar to what they did. Jesus came back. Judas despaired and hung himself. And people say, well, we don't know where Judas's soul is. We know exactly where his soul is. Scripture is very clear on this point. Now, it doesn't say the soul of Judas is in hell, but Jesus said it's been better if he never existed and that he went to his place. So he despaired. Now, this is very, very important. The truth is we will never trust anyone unless we know them. This includes God. Just any of us. How can you trust another human being unless you really know them? And how are we going to trust God unless we know God, unless we know him? And ultimately, Peter knew Jesus, and Judas didn't. Judas was more attached to the money in the money bag and missed the real treasure. Because that money was an idol to him, and idolatry leads to despair. So getting to know God is paramount, vital, essential, and necessary. So how do we get to know God? How do we get to know anybody? Can anybody tell me? You know, when I signed up for this retreat, I didn't know Father was going to ask questions. (laughs) If I'd have known that, I wouldn't have done it. How do you get to know somebody? Huh? Huh? by talking to them by being with them spending time with them and that's what prayer is but we're going to talk about prayer it's necessary to talk about prayer but prayer for so many people is god i want this god i want that god do this for me god do that for me prayer for so many people is prayer petition i need this i need that take cancer away from uncle charlie And then we priests, we we talk to people, God doesn't listen to me. God doesn't love me because I have these crosses. You heard Father Benedict Rochelle on that tape. But honestly, we know why there's evil in the world. Yes, it's a mystery, but it's not a mystery. There's evil in the world because of the sin of our first parents. All of creation fell. Sin, death, suffering, accidents, diseases entered the world. We live in a fallen world full of evil. And it's because of we have a free will. And our first parents, the, the most horrible thing that ever happened was the rebellion of our first parents, which then ended up on the cross. So unfortunately, prayer for so many people is just, and sometimes demanding, and then we go to confession. Isn't it sometimes we'll go to confession where really we demand to be forgiven? And then we walk out and it's so hard for us to forgive? So here's a question. Now, you don't have to answer out loud. How much time do you spend on electronic gadgets, TV, radio, uh, news? Just how much time do you spend on things each day? And then how much time do you spend with God in prayer each day? The average person will spend three to four hours a day in stuff and just a few minutes. Now, I'm not saying any of you are, but I mean the average person. So I was preparing this couple for marriage a while back. So I was trying to plant the seed that they should pray at least an hour a day. And this young man said, an hour? An hour? Father, are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? An hour? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. An hour? Are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? I mean, just like that. I'm Okay. So I said, do you play video games every day? Yeah. How much time do you spend playing video games every day? Oh, five hours. So I said, five hours? (laughs) Five hours? Are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? Five hours? Good luck in that marriage. I mean, I'm really worried about them. How do you wean away from five hours and get addicted to that stuff? You can get addicted to anything in the world. Sports. Anything. I remember when I was in college, boy, did I think I knew a lot. And I had a cousin, my mom's first cousin, Sister Reginalda. And uh, she used to be principal at uh, St. Teresa's. So she went to the convent when she was older, at the age of 14. That's the way it was back then. She was a Kentucky Dominican. <clears throat> it was interesting because I was six weeks early. You know Father Waskowiak? He's like 6'8". So I was six weeks early, and it stunted my growth. So if I would have been full term, i had been as tall as him, and he wouldn't call me Shorty. So I'm this little scrawny, premature little boy, skinny. And Sister Reginalda, my mom's first cousin, saw me, and God said, pray for him. He's going to be a priest someday. So she prayed and prayed. Nothing happened. Prayed and prayed. Nothing happened. Prayed and prayed. Nothing happened. then she developed breast cancer and spread all over her skeleton and she suffered you know what she offered that suffering for she rejoiced in her suffering for my sake she made up what's missing in the suffering of Christ for the sake of others that's Colossians one twenty four. our sufferings have power offering up our sufferings for others that's part of prayer too but when I was in college and sister Reginalda came home for a visit and she said to me Chris How much do you pray every day? Are you praying every day? And I thought, this woman's out of, I didn't say this, but I thought, this woman's out of her mind. I'm busy. I have things to do. I'm in college. I have a lot of studies. And I have to have a little fun anyway. And I and I I really didn't answer her question. And she pointed at me, I'll never forget this. She says, if you don't pray every day, you're not going to make it. And I And I thought, well, she's not talking about making it into med school. She was talking about making it into heaven. I never forgot that. What is prayer? This is the question that many struggle with, including priests and religious. And this is where we'll take off on our next talk, and I want to tell you a story about a young priest, every time I tell a story, people say, Father, was that you? Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. And this is a priest. It's it's not me, but it's a great story. It involves Mother Teresa, so we're going to start with this story, our next talk about how he struggled to try to figure out what prayer really is, because it really is a struggle that affects everybody, including us.